So I'm going squatching. We're going squatching, bitches. Welcome back! You made it? And thank you for joining us. I'm Josh. You're welcome. I said, I'm Josh. Who are you? I continue to be Lennon. This <laughs> is Don't Touch My Sasquatch. Good job. I did here, what I could. <laughs> here we explore controversial topics with energy and a good laugh. We're two guys that have a love and passion for these topics. Things that you may have heard of, but may not know the full story of yet. We're here to tell you those stories, share our opinions, and let you come to your own conclusions. We'll do the research so you don't have to. In 1947, three years after the end of World War II, the United States was experiencing an unusually high amount of UFO sightings. Even with all these sightings, one stood above the rest. It was July of 1947. A man working on a ranch located 75 miles outside of Roswell, New Mexico, would become the catalyst to the incident that made flying saucers into a household name. What followed was a series of government backpedaling, Witness suppression and alleged cover-ups that is still a hot topic to this day. What really happened in a New Mexican desert back in 1947 is still a mystery. Did a rancher discover a crashed alien craft, or was it just a weather balloon? We'll let you decide for yourself. Now sit back, relax, and put your tinfoil hats on as we dive into the Roswell incident. Roswell. (laughs) Fucking Roswell. Up late last night studying for this thing. It's like a test. Heard you got some new uh, podcasting equipment. Things happened. <laughs> mistakes got, were made. Papa got a little angry, and mistakes were made. No, it's not happening. The uh, original computer I bought a couple of years ago um, was not for podcasting purposes. No. Therefore, you know, processing all these audio clips and putting them together... Made my computer say, no mas, no mas. <laughs> that computer was actually originally created to uh, send astronauts to the moon. It the was. First time. It, it sure was. Now I got one that's going to send them to Mars. <laughs> <laughs> this fucking thing. <laughs> this thing's a unit, and it is a different level got, of processing. It's, it's got crazy. fins on the back of it. And it is so it's fucking so cool. cool. Yeah, it has a... Uh, it it's, uh, it's just does the computer sorry. stuff. The editing on the audio was silky smooth for once. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't like not responding, not responding. Son of a bitch. I'm going to just fucking work. <laughs> was, yeah. Yeah. A little happened. Um, but yeah, that's that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Feeling good and caffeinated. Always caffeinated. Always. We are talking about Roswell. Uh, today we're just covering the incident and everything involved around the incident. Players involved, Poppy, Mommy, Sister, and Brother. All of them, I guess. <laughs> and we're going to go back in time. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to build a pyramid, paint some paintings, and start a revolution. Get ready for Lennon's History Corner. New jingle. Yeah, well, we hired a guy named Jedediah to sit in the corner and play a piano. <laughs> yeah. <he> was, <laughs> it's his only job. He was so happy. Now he's sitting there staring at us. <laughs> I mean, again? You, you again? Go. Again? You're free to leave. Again? No, not again. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. No! <laughs> yes. So, hitting you with some history, as always. Ow! Yep. Smacked him in the face. <laughs> Yeah, damn, your dick's long. Absolute hog. (laughs) (laughs) So during the summer of 1947, the United States was fresh out of World War II. Small town America was the shit, but the Soviets (laughs) also thought they were the shit. Fuck them. Soviets also thought they were the shit. Still do. And that's basically the Cold War in a nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bunch of... It's a a dick-measuring contest. And in 1947... Cold War had just begun. A sudden spike in UFO sightings was in its swing all across the country that year. The U.S. was hit with saucer mania. A newspaper headline reading, Roswell Army Airfield captures flying saucer 
on ranch in Roswell region, engulfed the phenomenon even further. Newspapers from all over began to spread the news. Janine from Ghostbusters could be heard screaming, We got one. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) We got one! But hold your fucking horse, Chief. Where the heck did they get a flying saucer, you might ask? (laughs) Well, in this instructional video, we will tell you. (laughs) Oh, sweet. I want to get one. (laughs) Tell me. It wasn't a flying saucer after all. The government actually confirmed that it was a weather balloon days after they recovered the debris of a crash and even allowed pictures to be taken of it. That's it? End of story. Story is over. But, end of story. But wait, in 1994, <laughs> the, uh, the government admitted that the weather balloon story was a load of shit as well as the fabricated evidence they showed as a weather balloon. So what really happened? Huh? <laughs> On July 2nd of 1947, mm-hmm. rancher William Mac Brazel was working on the JW, nope, was working on the J.B. Foster Ranch. He did not own the ranch like many people believe. He only worked there. Yeah. That was. Uh, that only comes up because in one of the pieces of research sources I was doing my research on, mm-hmm. they were saying how it was very strange that imagine your employee takes people to your place of business that you own and is trying to sell, you know, Visits and stuff like that because he was trying to make it popular. Well, maybe the rancher, not the rancher, but the uh, owner was in on it. Possibly. He and a few other people claimed to have heard a loud crash in the night. There are also reports of mess. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't supposed to screw you up. Sorry. It's okay. It's okay. okay. There are also reports of massive thunderstorms rolling through the area that night. What? All (laughs) thunderstorms? Right. (laughs) Upon investigation, Brazel. I like that. (laughs) Brazel. Every time we say his name, now it has to be a song. Every time I say his name in my head when I'm reading through my notes or yeah. reading through, it's either Brazil or Brazil. Brazil. <laughs> like Brazil, but with L. Brazil. Brazil. Upon investigation, Brazil noted that the debris field to be a bright wreckage made up of rubber, a tinfoil-like metal that was incredibly strong, and a wood similar to balsa. The tinfoil metal is said to have been resistant to blows from a switch, switch, a sweatshirt <laughs> from a sledgehammer, <laughs> and is thin as tinfoil. Right. It's also been noted that it, uh, when you crumple it up, it will just go right back to its its previous state. It's like it never happened. Flattened out. Um, it has no creases, no folds. Now there's a metal called nickel titanium, also known as nitinol. Gesundheit. Thank you. <laughs> that has similar properties. Actually, yeah. very similar properties. Mm-hmm. Almost identical. Oh. One would say they could be one and the same. <laughs> <laughs> but. Dare I? <laughs> but this metal was discovered and made in 1961, which is 14 years after Roswell. Now, we will touch on. So I, will, I will touch on something later that might. Yeah, my hands are crazy. It has a shape. I'm going to read what the fuck the uh, night and all is now. It has, <laughs> it has a shape memory, which is the ability of night and all to undergo deformation at one temperature, stay in its deformed shape when, and bleh, when the external force is removed. Then recover its original undeformed shape upon heating above its transformation temperature. Super elasticity is the ability for the metal to undergo large deformations and immediately return to its undeformed shape upon removal of the external upon removal of the external load. Sorry. Nitinol can Nitinol can deform. <laughs> <laughs> I got really deep there. Got really wow. deep and serious. Finally my balls dropped. <laughs> No, you know, can dip. He sounded like I turned into a man. He sounded like those commercials for prescription medications when they're talking about side effects. No, you know, can seriously decrease your sex drive. Oh, Lord. Let's try this again without the deep voice. Nitinol can deform 10 to 30 times as much as ordinary metal and return to its original shape. Whether nitinol behaves with the shape memory effect 
or superelasticity depends on whether it is above the transformation temperature of the specific alloy. Below the transformation temperature, it exhibits the shape memory effect, and above that temperature, it behaves super elastic, super elastically. Sorry, super elastically. Holy moly. Mr. Fantastically. Yeah, he was part of that metal, actually. He was created from the metal. His bones were. <laughs> from the metal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this was discovered in 1960s by William Bueller and Frederick Wang. Jesus. (laughs) Bueller was attempting to make a better missile nose cone, which could resist fatigue, heat, and force of impact. In 1961, he presented a sample at a laboratory management meeting. The sample folded up like an accordion and was passed around and flexed by the participants. One of them applied heat from the pipe lighter from his pipe lighter to the sample, and uh, to everyone's surprise, the accordion shape stripped, contracted, and took its previous flat shape. Wow. Excellent so, job, Jim. <laughs> right? I wonder if he was told to do that, if he just was like, let's just fucking apply heat to this shit. <laughs> he perfectly demonstrated his capabilities. So I just found it fascinating <clears throat> that this, um, through research, that this, this metal is Plied. literally, almost literally, what... They describe this the the Roswell metal being mm-hmm. minus you know a couple things like the heat being applied to it, but still mm-hmm. that shows that this metal is actually a tangible possible. thing that is possible. Mm-hmm. Now, I want I want to pose this question before you move on with your history corner. Did we create that from t- alien technology, or was this just a happenstance that we happened to find it or discover it fourteen years later? You Maybe know what I'm saying? Like that's like something yes. to think about. Food for Keep thought. Keep in mind. That was all Food I had in the metal, brother. Back to the history. <laughs> oh, okay. Do we play the music again? No, no. <laughs> Go away. On July 6th, Mac Brazel drove 75 miles to Roswell to deliver some of the wreckage material to one Sheriff George Wilcox. Now, while this incident is called the Roswell Incident, it actually took place in uh, Corona, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. But it was reported upon in Roswell, and thus the name. Right. Yeah, of course. So he and his family, Brazel, mm-hmm. um, had gathered up a bunch of the debris and were unsure of the nature of it or what to do with it. Um, there's varying reports, depending on the accounts, because I know we both discussed this. There's mm-hmm. so many different stories that all kind of fade in and out of each other. As most of the stuff we do. But we're, we're kind of trying to hit the topics that are most, like, consistent. Yes. We hit the consistencies in all of them. Yes. Anyway, there are varying reports that, uh, of a $3,000 recovery of a mm-hmm. flying saucer or any wreckage, and if Brazel had known about this ahead of time or not. Now, it's funny that you bring that up, because on the ranch, they had no phone or radio, which would leave him unaware of all the UFO and flying saucer craze, mm-hmm. you know, the past 10 days, actually, the whole year. Yeah. So, it's one of those things where he's unaware. It's just like, oh, okay, there's a wreckage. And from what I read, uh, it was common because it was close to the uh, RAAF. Mm -hmm. It was common for weather balloons to crash into the the pasture fields and him having to clean it up. Mm -hmm. But he noticed and realized that this material was different. 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 So, he knows what a weather balloon is, and he didn't think this was a weather balloon. Apparently. Mm-hmm. Also, fun fact, mm-hmm. uh, when he was herding the cattle, they refused to walk over the debris. It was like they were scared of it, like really? something, you know. Think of it, um, you know, Skinwalker Ranch. You know how the cattle, like, all of a sudden become startled out of the blue, and usually that's when a uh, UAP is in the air? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I kind of liken it to that. Like, maybe there's something in the UFO itself, radioactive mm-hmm. or what have you, that the cattle can sense and it scares them because they would not go near it. He had to go way out of his way to go around the wreckage for the, with the cattle. Mm. Let me tell you a little side story here. Yes, please. Uh, I know from my line of work that cows mm. are very sensitive to electricity. Oh. Um, they can, they're, basically the, this one job we went to go f- work on, the cows mm-hmm. were refusing to drink the water from the watering tubs in the barn. Mm-hmm. So checking out the water, come to find out the water had 
very small voltage, a very little amount of electricity okay. in it. But there was still some kind of electricity energizing the water. Interesting. Come to find out, about three quarters of a mile down the road, there was um, a retaining pond that they were pumping the water up from mm-hmm. there too, and that pump had gone bad and was energizing the water, and it was going all the way up. Now, the cows refused to stand, like, within five feet of the water trough, and they never touched it. So they are sensitive to type of electricity like that. So maybe there's electricity inside the UFO that really just kind of emanates that they feel. It's one little bit inside. That is is actually, it's really cool. Yeah. It's all coming together. (laughs) Me and Lennon are cracking this shit wide. We're blowing the lid off this fucker. (laughs) Open. Back to your regularly scheduled program. Sheriff Wilcox, then called the Roswell... Air, airfield. <laughs> what is it? Rochester, Rochester. Roswell Army Airfield. Okay, so I just typed in RAAF for all of it. Just yes. To, and every time I read RAAF, I want to say the Royal Air Force. No, that, it fucks then me up. From here on out, just call it the RAAF. Shall I shall? That solves that problem. But it's actually called Roswell Army Air Force from now on. RAAF for the whole story. Yes. I turned into a goddamn <laughs> Scottish. So on Jalopa. Jalopa. That's <laughs> almost like July not. Jalopa. <laughs> Mine is July not. Yours is Jalopa. <laughs> Jalopa. Oh, that was good. July not. Jalopa. <laughs> okay. Woo. Sheriff Wilcox then called the RAAF and spoke with Colonel Butch Blanchard about the mystery material. The RAAF was a very important base in the United States at this time. The base was home of the 509th Air Bombardment Group, which was the group responsible for ending World War II by dropping the nuclear bombs on Japan. Isn't it? So UFOs are always around, like, missile silos and everything, right? right? That's I, where I was about to get to. Sorry, I didn't know if you got the note. I, just, I don't have it in notes, but I knew that I wanted yeah. to bring that up with you during that. You said that, and I was like, holy shit, like... I didn't even think about that, that it's... Yes. So now they're... Because are they monitoring the people that dropped the fucking bomb? That, but also um, uh, the, the nuclear tests carried out were in New Mexico. Right. Um, leading up to the first use of the RAF. The nuclear tests carried out in New Mexico leading up to the first use made the RAAF a center of U.S. nuclear weaponry. So, so that's, they, yeah, that's... Where they're hanging out, always. They're always around them. So, Colonel Blanchard called up the chain to his superior. So, we've gone Brazel, Sheriff Wilcox, Colonel Blanchard. Now, he's calling up to General Roger W. Ramey to pass the information along. Yes. General Ramey ordered the 509th Intelligence Officer named Major Jesse Marcel to head to the site and investigate and recover whatever materials from the wreckage he could and told him to bring along someone from counterintelligence. Counterintelligence. Mm-hmm. Military police were sent to the police station to recover whatever materials Brazel had dropped off there, while Marcel and counterintelligence officer Sheridan Cavett went to the scene. Mm-hmm. There they found an area of blackened ground and recovered material from the site and from what Brazel had recovered on his own that he kept in a shed. So it was just... Uh, Marcel who- and Shared in Cabot. Just two. those two. Intelligent officers, which also sticks out to me because why the hell are they selling intelligence officers to a crash site unless they're worried about national security? Right. That or in, in my if it's something that they know of, which I will talk about later on too. Okay. Yeah. If it's something they know of, why would it not just be another routine yeah. go go retrieval? They wouldn't do just two guys that are intelligence officers. Going by themselves. They would have that cold cleanup crew. Cold cleanup crew. Say that five times fast. (laughs) Um, The story now goes, this is where it gets kind of interesting. The story now goes that Major Marcel had loaded up his car with more material after he told Cavett to go on ahead with the load of material that they already had Mm -hmm. loaded. (laughs) To bring it to the base. And he would meet him back at the base. So he sent him on his way and he put more stuff in his car before he left. He then do do it. He then detoured and stopped by his home sometime around two a.m. and woke his wife and son up to show them the crash material. Yes. 
His son Jesse Jr. recalled seeing strange sim- symbols similar to hieroglyphics and bright colors on the debris he was shown. On July 8th, the RAAF Public Information Officer, Walter Hott, issued a press release of the incident. Some reports say that it was dictated by to Hott by Colonel Blanchard himself. The statement went as follows. The many rumors regarding the flying disc became a reality yesterday when the Intelligence Office of the 509th Bomb Group of the 8th Air Force, Roswell Army Airfield, was fortunate enough to gain access to gain possession of a disc through the cooperation of one of the local ranchers in the sheriff's office of Chavez County. Mm-hmm. Most famous of these headlines, so he dictated this in a press release, and newspaper outlets from the area were there to take their notes. Um, the most famous of these headlines comes from the Roswell Daily Record, which boasted the famous head- headline, Roswell Army Airfield captures flying saucer on ranch in Roswell region. One of the most famous, well-known newspaper articles about this. Mouthful. Yes. Once these headlines were picked up by more and more news outlets, the story grew. The only newspapers who picked up the initial story, though, were the one were the ones from the Midwest to the West on their evening news. Mm-hmm. The Eastern newspapers only picked up the cover story printed the next morning, such as the New York Times or the Washington Post. Headlines of the Air Force having possession of a flying disc gripped the already saucer-struck nation. The spike in sightings that year also held the famous Kenneth Arnold sighting, which we previously talked about in our UFO or UAP episode. Check that out for more info on Kenneth Arnold's sighting, Josh. Episode 2. Episode 2. Episode 2. Before we were all, like, almost professional. (laughs) We're just minor league. (laughs) Becoming major league, though. <laughs> so they released a, uh, in the press that it was a flying saucer. Hey, we have one. Yep. That's what they said. <laughs> Wait, um. don't fuck with me. <laughs> don't fuck with me, okay? <laughs> don't fuck with me, man. <laughs> the spike in sightings that you yep, did that. So by the time the headlines were growing, the government started to question, who the fuck greenlit such a press release? If this was, in fact, a flying saucer, and the government held extraterrestrial tech, and even some bodies, either alive or dead, like some reports suggest, then there is no way this info could become general knowledge. Cue the backpedal and cover up. (laughs) (laughs) That was really loud. Turn it up a little too loud. (laughs) Yikes. The next day, the RAAF issued a new statement that Sorry, folks. False alarm. What actually crashed? Crashed. What actually crashed was a military balloon. Case closed. Look, we even made Marcel pose with a picture of a tattered balloon. It definitely was the same wreckage we gathered all traces of the previous day. Heavy on the sarcasm, folks. <laughs> it was. So, I, I did look at your notes. I, so I haven't seen this when I looked, but unless you added it, I saw that. When he went into a meeting with, when, when Marcel went into a meeting. Blanchard, right? Blanchard. When Marcel went into a meeting with Blanchard, you know, he brought the wreckage in, but Blanchard asked, wanted to talk to him in private or something like that. And the wreckage, when he came back to it, that it was in the box, was Spared. gone. It was not in the box anymore. So he thought, oh, they probably just laid it out for the pictures. Yep. But when he went for the picture, it was not the same, he says. No. Um, this is from one of the websites that's in my links. Er, it's in our show notes. Um, and it, from what I can tell, this entire website is dedicated to Jesse Marcel Sr. and his son, Jr., because okay. it's called jessemarcelljr.com. Um, wow, he's important. The afternoon, Marcel arrives in Fort Worth and confers with General Ramey. Remnants of a balloon are substituted for real debris. A press conference is held in Ramey's office. Photographs are taken of Marcel and Ramey with the balloon remnants. Ramey issues a statement claiming that the Roswell officers were fooled and that the material found was from a weather balloon. Ha <laughs> ha! That is from the website, which has a lot of very detailed um, account confirmed information. Got it. They have a whole timeline, which is handy. As we just said, Marcel was forced to take a picture with debris. That was not what he had already brought in. I love his face in that photo. He's like, 
Uh, sure. This is no, that's yeah. This totally is what it was. We didn't lie to you twenty four hours ago. Yep. Um, supposedly the story also goes that Brazel was brought into the office of the Roswell Daily Record by officers from the RAAF and gave a revised version of his story. The misinformation continues. Now here's where we diverge on the story. On one path, you can take the quick, easy route with a fresh paved blacktop under your car's new tires. You can accept the story for what it is told. Brazel, 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 Brazel. Stumbled upon a wreckage of a military balloon of some kind. Not knowing what it was, he turned it in, and it was passed up the chain to where it was then retrieved. Personnel from the RAAF collected the balloon and issued a statement that played into the hot topic of the time because it was easier to blame the wreckage on an imaginary villain than to admit the truth that the wrecked balloon was actually part of a top-secret military project named Project Mogul. More on that in a bit. But then, after the incredible popularity and mania that followed, they retracted their statement and said what it actually was. Just a balloon, and no one gave a fuck. The second path is dark and filled with all the potholes your car can find. The second path tells you that the wreckage actually was a wrecked UFO. The RAAF had no knowledge of any crash. Otherwise, they would be out there looking for it. The crash happened days before Brazel even turned it in, so how would it not be sought out by them? The RAAF sent out some guys to investigate, and when they discovered what they did, they hastily issued a statement that the people wanted to hear. But when the wreckage and whatever contents it did or didn't have were taken to the secret bases to be studied by all the big brains, they discovered what technology they actually had on their hands and quickly threw up, threw a cover-up of a balloon into the mix to backpedal. <laughs> the information could not fall into the wrong ear canals. To help you with your choice and path, let's look at some of the evidence in either. First, Project Mogul. The short story is, the U.S. had just entered the Cold War. The world's first atomic bombs were detonated in the years prior, and it showed the world that it was possible. It showed the Soviet Union that it was possible. They wouldn't develop theirs until 1949, I think. But, yeah. A man named Maurice Ewing had done research into deep sound channels in the oceans and theorized that there may be a similar sound channel in the atmosphere. This theory would turn into Project Mogul, which developed high-altitude balloons with mics on them that they, would, that they hoped would be able to pick up long-distance sound waves of Soviet atomic tests. The project would span from 1947 to 1949. If the information about the secret detection got across the Iron Curtain, and I don't know, I'm sure they still would have blown their shit up anyway, as a fuck you, I guess. Project Mogul people, you got learned. <laughs> you got learned. You get learned. learned. Instead of get fucked, get learned. Get learned on history. Now I'm hitting some ancient aliens type stuff. I'm sorry, I started doing a shit ton of questions here. <laughs> it was like 11.45. Who gave the green light to issue a statement that the wreckage actually was a flying saucer? I did. What? Yes, you did. Case closed. <laughs> Dunzo. Whether it was the truth or not, what advantage did it give to release this information? In the end, it seems that it only backfired and made things more complicated, because as we know, they retracted their statement and said it was a balloon. So did someone screw up and release the information on a whim? Or did they release the truth not thinking it would bring the consequences that it did? The answer to those questions and more can be answered by your own thoughts. I don't have the answers... But I do know what path I will be taking. What path will you be taking? The third path. We haven't talked about that because there's nothing. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I was waiting. Pen. <laughs> oh, question. <laughs> Pop quiz. I didn't know there was a test. See. Uh, <laughs> what? When in doubt, see your way out. That's how I became a perfect C early graduate. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Got learned. Uh. We're talking about Jesse Marcel Jr. now. Let's do it. As I said before, the story follows that in almost all accounts, Jesse Marcel Sr., at one point in the middle of that night, stopped by his house and woke his wife and son up to show them the incredible wreckage. Jesse Marcel Jr. maintained throughout his life what he saw that night. He wrote a book called The Roswell Legacy on his and his father's account of the night with a foreword from a man named Stanton Freeman who we'll learn more about shortly. Fucking pretentious prick. What? Well, he called himself a legacy? <laughs> I'm a legacy. You know he died, right? <laughs> Fuck that guy. Jesus. Just kidding. <laughs> pretentious 
Frick. He died, right? <laughs> Ow. I banged my head. <laughs> oh, fuck. No, I'm going to pass. Uh, Friedman described him as a courageous man who set a standard for honesty and decency in telling the truth. Pretentious prick. He really is a pretentious prick. I told you. <laughs> Love it. Only the good stuff. Hey, good stuff, please. Good stuff. Marcel Jr. claimed that on that night, his father came home and woke him up to show him something that was, quote-unquote, not of this earth, and that he would never get a chance to see again. Of the objects he's... Of the objects he saw, he remembered distinctly a I-beam type shape mm-hmm. object with purple-hued hieroglyphics on them. Sounds just like a weather balloon. Just like it. Jesse Mart, because, you know, we put Egyptian hieroglyphics on all of our weather balloons. That plus, you know, a weather balloon takes two carloads of debris. Right. Um, Actually, the, more. The um, Let's see if I can remember this. Don't hurt yourself. The balloons that they used in Project Mogul were mm-hmm. 657 feet from top to bottom. I think 160 feet wide. Okay. This is a big fucking balloon. It's a big balloon, but it's rubber. Press. <laughs> That's very true. But still, it's, just it, a, it's a big fucking balloon. It is a big balloon. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> That's the kind of balloon I want for my... <clears throat> 35th. God, you're old. Right? Now you're 25. Ages, ladies and gentlemen. Proceed. <laughs> Time is a bitch. <laughs> Jesse Marcel Jr. would maintain his story of that night and his father's accounts up until he passed away in August of 2013. There's a website that is dedicated to Jesse Marcel Jr. and Sr., as I said, that gives a lot of information on the incident and the Marcel's accounts. Link in the show notes below. And when you click on it, you get a taps. <laughs> Marcel and Mac Brazel. <laughs> you okay? You all right? You took it right to the... was that? Did you hear that? I did, yeah. That was my mustache here getting caught <laughs> on the can. Oh, God, it hurt so bad. <laughs> it was like, ding. <laughs> Jesus. I will get this sentence out. So Marcel and Mac Brazel are not the only accounts of witnesses, witness accounts. We got another one. We got a couple of them, some from random, you know, civilians and some from actually credible higher-up witnesses or accounts. So the first one we're going to talk about is Dan Wilmot. Ooh, him. That guy. I'm going to read you a clip from the Roswell Daily article from July 8th, 1947. Mr. and Miss Dan Wilmot apparently were the only persons in Roswell who saw what they thought was a flying disc. They were sitting on their porch at address. I'm not going to say the address. Last Wednesday night at about 10 o'clock when a large glowing object zoomed out of the sky from the southeast going in a northwesterly direction at a high rate of speed. Wilmot called Mrs. Wilmot. So I'm guessing Mr. Wilmot called Mrs. Wilmot. Good job, article. (laughs) Good job, article. Wilmot's attention to it. Both ran down into the yard to watch. It was in sight for less than a minute, perhaps 40 to 50 seconds, Wilmot estimated. Wilmot said that it appeared to him to be about 1,500 feet high and going fast. He estimated between 400 and 500 miles per hour. In appearance, it looked oval in shape like two inverted saucers faced mouth to mouth or like two old wash bowls placed together in the same fashion. Mouth to mouth, ass to ass. (laughs) (laughs) However you prefer it. One of the two. The entire body glowed as though light were showing through the inside, though though not like it was... Holy shit. The entire body glowed as though light were showing through the in, from inside, though not like it would inside, though not like it would be if deleted. He's gone cross-eyed. <laughs> I'm, I'm deleting that line, and we're just going to go this way. The entire body glowed as though light were showing through the inside, though not like it would be if light were merely underneath it. Mm-hmm. From where he stood, Wilmot said that, he, that the object looked to be about five feet in size, 
and making allowance for the distance it would what five feet in size didn't he just say it was 1500 <laughs> i'm so confused anyways back up your mind <laughs> wilma said that the object looked to be about five feet in size now Holy and fuck. making allowance for the distance it was from town he figured it would uh it would uh he figured it must have been 15 to 20 feet in diameter. <laughs> it's 1,500 feet. It's 15 to 20 feet. It's five. I'm going to guess he's, he's estimating five feet in height and 15 to shot. 20 feet in diameter, which is funny because didn't uh, Travis Walton estimate about 15 to 20 feet in diameter? Yes. Yeah. And it was. I think he said about six shaped. feet too. But So it's very similar in description. Yes. <clears throat> Though this was a guess. Wilmot said he that he heard no sound, but Mrs. Wilmot said that she heard a swishing sound from a vi- for a very short time. <laughs> well, that's a squishy sound, like you got wet slippers. Squishy. <laughs> <laughs> Swishy, not squishy. Oh! <laughs> Quick cuts. <laughs> Why would a UFO sound squishy? <laughs> I can't wait to find out, though. <laughs> Damn, that sounds soggy. <laughs> Space travel must be wet. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta have a well-lubricated ship to cut through the space. Oh, Lord. Holy fuck. So it's a swishing sound for a very short time. The object came into view from the southeast and disappeared over the treetops in the general vicinity in six mile hill. What's wrong? Okay. Wilmot, who is one of the most respected and reliable citizens in town, kept the story to himself, hoping that someone else would come and tell about having seen one. But finally today, today decided that he would go ahead and tell about it. Fine, I'll do it myself. <laughs> he, he put the fucking glove on. He's like, I'll do it myself. The announcement that the RAAF was in possession of one came only a few minutes after he decided to release the details of what he had seen. Mm-hmm. So that is his account. Incredible. Now we're going to go to one that is extremely controversial and widely looked to be looked at as as untrue. Elvis it's, is still alive. He. How did you know? <laughs> is that not what we're traveling? About? <laughs> <laughs> no, Ragsdale and True Love. They sound like Bond villains. I know. <laughs> it really does. Never can trust the, the name of a Bond villain. <laughs> ah! <laughs> so, Jim Ragsdale. Ah, oh, fuck. I think his name is Jim. Is it James? Yeah. Well, Jim is short for James. Did <laughs> 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 he? All right. Ragsdale, along with his girlfriend... At the time, Trudy True Love. <laughs> it's definitely a Bond villain. Trudy True Love. Oh, fuck. Uh, so they were uh, apparently camping. They were in coitus. They were apparently camping. Ragsdale said he saw the craft roaring ahead, overhead, not ahead, overhead, about 11.30 p.m. The night before they were out camping, like I just said. Overhead while getting ahead. <laughs> Well, you know, sometimes the stars really just set the mood. (laughs) (laughs) They got in the Jeep and drove into the desert to find out what crashed. They found a craft stuck in the side of a small hill. It looked very unusual, and they thought it was an experimental military craft. You missed! (laughs) (laughs) Fod, watch out, there's a hill! You fucking idiot! No, I was wondering. <laughs> huh? No, I messed up. I'm was, sorry. Uh, no, 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 you didn't. I was just was gonna make a joke that that was when Walton was over pushing buttons and levers. <laughs> yeah. and shit. They hit some guy on there. Like, what's this one do? He went back in time to like thirty something years. Yeah, yeah. It's good. So they didn't see any movement in the flashlight beam, in their flashlight beam. Hold on. I will wait. Let me let me back up a little bit. They got in their Jeep and drove into the desert to find out what crashed. They found the craft stuck in the side of a small hill. It looked very unusual, and they thought it was an experimental military craft. They didn't see any movement in their flashlight beam. So they decided to leave and come back in the morning because it was dark and they wanted to have a better look at it. When they came back the next day, they could see the craft more clearly. It looked like an airplane with little crescent-shaped wings. 
The front end collapsed, but the rear part was intact. They also saw several bodies, about four or five feet long, that looked like midgets. That was a quote. Don't yell at me. I'm not. Their, their quote was about four or five feet long that looked like midgets. They both picked up uh, pieces of the debris, as Ragdale said. You could take the stuff and wad it up, and it would straighten out by itself. Another account. Sounds familiar. When did they, you might have already said it. Yes. But when did they give their account of this? They actually never said when they gave the account. Because I was just On the website I was reading. Gotcha. I was wondering how far after. Um, well, there's a theory that this is the this is a, a different craft because something we'll get into in part two of Roswell is the Majestic 12. And there was allegedly in the Majestic 12 document three uh, craft, or three craft, three crashes, UFO crashes that happened. And we will get into all of that later. But Full fucking squadron. Right. Uh, they were monitoring something. I can't remember. It was something to do with... Red Leader. But yeah, we'll, we'll get into that in the next episode when we talk a little bit about Majestic Spoiler Swap. alert. We're doing a part two, bitches. <laughs> I'm pretty sure if they're listening to this now, they know it's a part two, seeing as it says part one. Spoiler alert, <laughs> you already knew that, bitches. <laughs> Sorry. I got so a short, up face. Shortly thereafter, the military showed up in force with six or seven trucks and a staff car. Ragsdale and True Love were afraid they would get in trouble, so they threw down the pieces they hadn't picked up and hit. They were worried so, Bond was coming for them. But, I mean, if I found something that you need, oh, that's clearly not ours and this material is weird, mm-hmm. I'm not going to, oh, shit, the military's coming. I'm going to throw the pieces down. I'm going to fucking take it, man. Yeah. But they I mean, they're probably going to bring you in for questioning anyway, so what's the matter? Well, especially after this. They stayed hidden while they watched the military completely clear away and pick up every piece of debris and the bodies. Ragsdale said they even raked the ground afterwards, which makes sense. You want to try to get everything. Mm -hmm. Ragsdale's story has been confirmed by other family members. Mm. But through the course of many, many years of telling it, apparently there's multiple inconsistencies with his stories. And I don't want to say he's lying but I also don't want to say he's telling the truth. It's one of those things where you over time... Know. You're never going to know. Exactly. Over time, maybe we all misremember. Right. You know, especially when we get old. Um, isn't that right, Jeff? I mean, Lennon. Sorry. <laughs> so another <laughs> account is from Glenn Davis. He's a mortician uh, in Roswell at the time. He apparently had calls for small caskets. Mm-hmm. Um, that. Another account, but it's not like a full story. Uh-huh. Then there was Frankie Rowe. She, Frankie, mm-hmm. while she was at the fire department, a state trooper had stopped by. He showed her a piece of debris, which Frankie was allowed to hold. She said it was lightweight and flowed like Quicksilver. Not sure what that meant, but that's what she said. Like she the cl- superhero Quicksilver. Absolutely, fast as fuck. She claimed her father was at the site and saw bodies one of which was still walking around. Mm, Interesting, maybe. right? Could it be? Yeah. Now we get into my favorite account because, well, oh, there's two of them. I'm not sure which one's my favorite. One of my favorite accounts. This guy slapped an alien on the ass. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Phil. <laughs> All right. This one is from a senior pilot at Roswell Base in 1947. His name is Captain Oliver Pappy Henderson. Sorry, the Pappy part. (laughs) (laughs) They gave him the nickname Pappy because um, he served in World War II and he was one of the older um, statesmen. Like he was older than everybody that he served with. So they Mm -hmm. gave him the nickname Pappy and it just stuck. Yeah. I imagine him as like the pilot from The Mummy. I don't remember the pilot. I me- <laughs> he left. Like, he was like, ah, yes. Because I'm just going to leave it Go and act like I know because I forgot. Um, anyways, so after serving in World War II, he ran the Green Hornet Airline. Badass. Which it was, which involved flying C-54s and C-47s. He would transport VIPs, scientists, and material from Roswell to the Pacific during the atom bomb testing. Mm-hmm. So this meant that he had to have top secret clearance. Mm-hmm. Like you have to have top secret clearance for that ship. Attaboy, Pappy. That's right, Pappy. He had top secret clearance. 
So here's his account. He okay. said multiple times that he flew the flying saucer debris and alien bodies from Roswell to Wright Airfield in Dayton, Ohio, mm-hmm. also now known as Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. But back then, it was Wright Airfield. He described the bodies as small and pale with large heads. There were three bodies that were humanoid-looking, but not look, didn't look like us as well. Small bodies, fucking big heads. He also said they had slanty eyes. Um, now, in the Roswell Museum... You see a um, what, like a display where it's like an alien body, yep. and when you see, you say slant, it's like their eyes are closed, and it just makes a slit. Correct, so, I know what you're saying. Yeah, you're correct. So he told his wife this in 1980 or 1981. She wasn't sure which one. It was around that time when he saw a newspaper article describing the crash of a UFO outside Roswell with alien bodies found next to the craft. He said to her while pointing out the article, I want you to read this article because it's a true story. I'm the pilot who flew the wreckage of the UFO to Dayton, Ohio. I guess now that they're putting it in the paper, I can tell you about this. I wanted to tell you for years. Wow. Yeah. So that's his account. Credible witness with top secret clearance. Yeah. And it all checked, like, his credentials, everything. Checked out. It checked out. So that's cool. That's something to keep in mind. As, we, as you make your decisions, if you believe it was he's, a weather balloon or an alien craft. He's now on my list of historical figures to travel back in time and meet. Absolutely. Let's get that time machine. Here's another one. Got it. Here's one of my other favorites. He's a formal, former Army colonel, and his name is Philip Corso. He's colonel formal. Philip Corso. Corso. He was an intelligence officer inside the Eisenhower, Eisenhower White House, and he was assigned to the National Security Council along with many other reputable positions. Uh, his record was spotless, and he's a very, very credible witness. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book that it was called The Day After Roswell. I have not gotten a chance to read it, but I want to read it. Yeah, I really want to read it after listening to him. I, this was I a, almost bought that one. Th- this is an interview... From him, this and it's the link of the interview. The full interview is in the description, but um, he only he only uh, uh, talks a little bit about it while promoting the book. So sure. I'm sure the book has a Good wild definitely. amount of awesome stuff in it. He claimed to have handled wreckage from the from a flying saucer, and the file was marked as coming from New Mexico Roswell. He claimed that. Army Research and Development at Walter Reed Laboratory, where he worked, not only had wreckage, but reports and photos from an autopsy done on alien beings. These aliens had no reproductive organs. The skin was marvelously strong, as he put it. And he said, it was part of a guidance system. That's why we failed. So he was saying that the alien being was part of the guidance system. He claimed they didn't do enough uh, during the autopsy, saying that they only they didn't even do ten percent of what they should have done to really study these beings. And okay, he never said, but I'm wondering if it's in the book. His division in the army kept materials and bodies secret because of the potential enemies within the U.S. government interests that may take over the program and destroy the reputations of everyone involved. He testified many times in front of Congress about secret activities within the Eisenhower, Eisenhower White House, he had been thoroughly checked out and information has been confirmed. He says the Army spoon-fed recovered alien technology to American industries, the results being some of the greatest technological advances, such as integrated circuits, lasers, fiber optics, imaging, and night vision. He claims... Industry leaders from IBM, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, wrote to him after reading the book and said that it filled in many of the holes they've been wondering about for years. Interesting ship. Also, spoon-feeding industry, like, we're going to go to the uh, back a little bit, to the metal, Mm -hmm. how it was just, quote-unquote, discovered in 1961, the same type of metal that has been constantly said um, from uh, Roswell. Mm-hmm. Think about it too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the amount of time between the Wright brothers' first flight mm-hmm. and us landing on the moon, mm-hmm. I think it's what? Oh, fuck. 60-something years. 60 years. years. Yes, huh? Close to 60 years, if not a little more. Something like that. Um, I don't remember the exact date the Wright brothers flew. Wright brothers' first flight. I'm sorry, I just want to make sure I get this 1912? right. 1912? 1903. 1903, okay. So, yeah. So, it was about 65 years between man first learns how to fly to us landing on the moon. Mm-hmm. And you're right in that almost the middle period there in 47. Well, no, I'm sorry. You're at the end there. Mm-hmm. But think about how many gaps must have been filled in. I'm moving my hands so much that my watch thinks I'm working out. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, but think of how far we've come since then. Right. It, it just makes sense. Um, it all falls in I mean, place. to me, it makes sense. It's very logical that you're reverse engineering shit to improve our everything. Right. So the Army called it applied engineering and fed them to the industries. They encouraged them to take patents on the material, and then they would. the only thing they would have to do is feed back the information that would prove to be a competitive edge for the army, mm-hmm. and then they can give it to the American people and the world if necessary. But it was, I, I'm assuming they didn't tell them it was an alien craft. They probably right. just like, just like check out our new tech, bitches. Applied engineering. Hey, we look are at this. Can so you? So smart. <laughs> so he named uh, others that he claimed knows what he knows: General Marshall, General Trudeau, Joe MacArthur, and a couple others. I didn't fact check these guys at. Two in the morning, but um, <laughs> but yeah. So when asked why he came out, or <laughs> I worded that weird. Let me let me rephrase that. Okay, when asked why he waited so long to come out, the interview was in 1997. He said he made an oath to the general, General Trudeau. Uh, that he wouldn't say anything while Trudeau was still alive. The general died three years prior to the interview, so roughly 1994-ish, and that's when he started uh, writing about it after. He wasn't going to dishonor his oath, which is an honorable man. Honorable man. Honorable man. Honor. Now, I have a, a question that I would like to discuss with you, a couple actually, but why did the government change their story? In your thoughts. See, that's where I was talking about mine, too. Is, uh, yeah. It depends on what what path you subscribe to. Um, I mean, I think, obviously, you and I are on the same path mm-hmm. of that there was actually a crashed UFO. Um, I think that what happened was is that the information didn't get passed up the chain quick enough. And then at this point, at this point in time, I think the government military was just getting into the whole secrecy, keep all this, keep all this shit away from right. the general, pop, general population of right. people and stuff. So I think that they were still, there were still wasn't those channels of, hey, we have this information. No one is to know about it. Only X person and X person are allowed. If well, I'm making any sense. Yeah. So I think that they must have just been like, hey, this is actually what we got. And then, that's when everything, all the government um, programs like, started, though, yes, too. exactly. That. So that's why I'm thinking. It's a good thought. I like that theory, and Thank you. I could definitely see that being it. Was, another one I was thinking of was uh, maybe the article stating that they had found a down flying saucer by the military was just a ploy to gain public trust. Like, oh, hey, look, we have a flying saucer. Mm-hmm. That way, when they would later state that it was just a weather balloon, it would be more believable because why would they lie and change their story from a flying saucer to a weather balloon? At that time, it wasn't prevalent and all that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a trust building. Oh, sorry, we evaluated it and found out, no, it's not a flying saucer. It's just a weather balloon mm-hmm. that apparently we didn't even know we put up at the time of, right. you know. It, okay, how similar is a fucking weather balloon to a UFO craft? To find a uh, weather balloon and say, this must be a UFO. Yeah, I don't get where the, if it actually was a UFO. Yes. If it actually was a weather balloon. Yes. I don't get where the confusion comes from. That's what I'm saying. Because a weather balloon doesn't have, I don't know, it's not a spaceship. Exactly. You know. It's not a spaceship. It's totally different as well as, why why would you have intelligent officers? Why would they believe that balsa would? Which is of Earth, 
to right. be from out of earth. Right. You know, rubber strips, balsa wood. Right. I mean, that metal material was wild, but it probably wasn't that shit if it actually happened. Yeah, you never know. I mean... Never know. See, the problem with, with this is um, government could threaten as well as bribe people to... Say what to say whatever they want. Not only that, but keep silent. For example, Mac Brazel was allegedly held by the military for a week after um, the incident. After all that, mm-hmm. he allegedly was asked by the Air Force to take an oath that he wouldn't tell anybody in detail about the incident. This was uh, an account from his son mm-hmm. said that after that he rarely, if ever, talked about it, especially with no detail. So you just stop talking about Let's it. Really. Scare the shit out of him. Exactly. So why are they making them him take an oath not to tell details of what he found if it was just a weather balloon? What's there to hide if it's just a weather balloon? Right, right. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, also, it was Sheriff Wilcox was he threatened to stay silent because he also stopped talking about it too? Yeah, he did. He didn't talk about it till. Actually, I don't think he ever talked about it again. It was his wife and, and daughter that had the account, I think. I didn't read much about them. Yeah. So, mm. and then... You can turn my shit down. <laughs> Forgot about that. It's all good. So, was Debris uh, switched out without Marcel knowing about it? Yeah. Do I you think? think? Yeah. Do, but I think you, he knew about it, and it because... So you don't think it was not his knowledge? I mean... My, you don't think it, he all of a sudden found out that it was right before the pictures were taken. You think he knew they had to switch it out? No, I think he found out right before the picture. Right before the picture. Okay, yeah. Because he, from what the accounts I'd read, he hmm? had seen that it was then and there that it was different than yeah. the wreckage he had acquired himself. And then last thing I have a question. Uh, where is crash debris and body? Crash debris and bodies. Um, you know, Area 51 turned into this big thing after Roswell, mm-hmm. especially with uh, Captain Oliver Henderson, Oliver Pappy Henderson, to be exact. Uh. Him saying that the uh, that he flew the debris and bodies to the Wright Air Force Patterson, Wright Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio, um, and is a very credible witness, mm-hmm. as well as describe the bodies, describe some of the debris, yeah. um, and with, mixed with the mortician in Roswell being asked to make small caskets. small caskets. I think all that, for me, kind of solidifies kind of it. points to them going and taking it to the right Air Force Base, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. But that is, you know, my thought. <laughs> 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 Shit, they're attacking with flies now. <laughs> they took out our bee drone, get the fly. <laughs> But yeah, that's all I really have on the on part one. We have a lot of conspiracies and tinfoil hat things coming up on the next episode, though. Yes. What about it? Well, that kind of takes us up to completely filling out the whole original 1940s timeline. Yes, we sir. did touch a little bit on later on, but back to my stuff. Yes, sir. With your paths, left and right, hard and easy. Didn't come out right. <laughs> wow. Uh I'm a straight man, and I don't like <laughs> I don't like what you just sold me. <laughs> well, whatever path you choose is your decision. Mm-hmm. But after the balloon story came out, interest in the incident died out until nuclear physicist and UFO researcher named Stanton Freeman interviewed Jesse Marcel in 1978. In their interview, Marcel explained that the wreckage he investigated in 1947 actually was a crashed vehicle, not of this earth. And that the government ordered had ordered him to remain silent about it. And in 1994, the government revealed that the balloon story in 1947 actually was, in fact, a cover-up. But to hide what? They never told what it was to hide, huh? Nope. And we will touch on that more next Monday. Yes, sir. Next Monday. And if you're hearing this in the future, it's already out. <laughs> Just go to next. <laughs> Thank you again, everyone, for listening. Yeah. Thank you, ladies, gentlemen, and Sasquatches. Yes, sir. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you. This week's episode on the Roswell Instant Part 1. Join us in the discussion by sharing your thoughts and theories on our socials on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Links will be in the show notes. If you enjoy what we do here at Don't Touch My Sasquatch and would like to support us, join our Patreon to get bi-weekly bonus shows.
Discounts on merch and direct contact with us to keep the conversation going. Hit the subscribe button for auto downloads to listen first thing every Monday morning and drop us a five star rating. This helps us to grow and bring you more content for you to enjoy. Join us next Monday for our next stellar episode. Write us, rate us, review us, and remember stay curious, be vigilant, and don't touch my Sasquatch. Don't do it, it's that time of the month. Peace! See ya! Are you ready for the intro? Yeah. Intro? Okay, sorry. Um, oh, look at it. I even, like, tailored it for myself. I just wanted you to be prepared for... <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, what are we hitting? My ears are bleeding. <laughs> the left ear is breeding the right ear. Uh, how long is your dick? <laughs> Let me tell you. You got a ruler? Get two of those bad bitches. Mmm. Mmm. I mistakenly thought that that was from NeverEnding Story, and it was the turtle. No. Yeah, it's actually Dark Crystal. Yes. I tray you. Knock <laughs> 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 it off. <laughs> the only time I need to be like serious is when we're talking about the overview. I <laughs> <laughs> will keep that in mind going forward. I'll just keep my just back to you and then spin around <laughs> like an evil professor when you're ready. Like an evil villain. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you figured out my plan. Well, I went black. Hello? I got a cursor. (laughs) Killed itself. (laughs) It did the old Japanese. That's it for me, Chief. (laughs) (laughs) The Japanese knife through the gut. (laughs) It's been a good run. It's been a hell of a run, actually. That's going to be it for me, Chief. (laughs) That's it. Going down. (laughs) I'm taking myself out. Woo! Cut it, baby. Another one down. (laughs) Nah.